This is Worship God, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Canada. Worship God is designed to equip worshipers and worship leaders for Christ-centered worship. Welcome back to Worship God. Hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well today. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Uh, I'm Jody Cross, lead pastor at South Shore Bible Church in Barrie, Ontario. We've got Rob Brockman, who's the associate pastor, worship, leadership, development, missions, and all sorts of other things. I probably just created a new tile for you. Brother, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I know how busy you are. Good to see you in Aurelia at uh, Cornerstone and Pat Sibel in Midtown Church in Vancouver, the worship pastor there. Good to see you guys. You Glad too, to be Jody. here, Jody. We always have lots of fun, don't we? On and off the air. Oh, yeah. It's good to be back Generally, together. we're making fun of Pat, I think. That's kind of what happens. <laughs> we, we like Pat. Pat's a good yeah. guy. I like you too, Rob. Yeah. Well, today we have a very special guest. Uh, we are privileged to talk about stuff ourselves, but we also love to welcome other people who are smart about certain things and have thought deeply about things. And that's our privilege today to have Mark Buchanan with us. Mark is a pastor, an author. He is a speaker. He's a professor, likes motorcycles and all sorts of things. And uh, he's going to tell us about where he's at in terms of his geography and uh, what he's doing, what God, God's called him to do. So, uh, Mark, we are thrilled to have you here. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, introduce yourself to maybe someone who doesn't know you? Great. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Pat. Um, I have, uh, was a pastor for many, many years, and including I had a bit of a gig as a worship leader, not a very competent one, but <laughs> I, I know what it is to actually st- at least stand in that role. Um, for 24 years as a pastor, for the last nine, I've been a professor at Ambrose Seminary in Calgary. But more recently, I uh, continue to work at Ambrose, but I'm living on a small island in British Columbia, where my wife and I lead a ministry called New Story Community. And the mission statement of that is to foster, to, to promote the flourishing of Indigenous women in a place of safety, beauty, and community. And we're just wrapping up. Uh, it's a seven-and-a-half-month program. We're just wrapping it up it, um, it later in April, and it's a cool thing. Mark, I have had the privilege of getting to know you over the last couple of years. We are in a, a group, Mark and I, with a few other men that journey together once a year, and we meet on uh, very close to where Mark is at for a week of praying and talking and doing life together. And I know that Mark is a deeply committed follower of Jesus Christ. He is um, reflective. He's a deep well. He is uh, a man who is uh, courageous. He's a servant. He's a lover of God's word. He's raw. He's real. And um, he loves people. And Mark, one of the things that you have said about yourself uh, recently to me was that you are a woodman. And um, that's not a term that people use too much uh, around here. So that, and that's not just a throwaway term. You, you said that and you explained what that meant in terms of what God's doing in your life. So why don't you just tell us kind of what God's called you to do as a woodman and what that means to you? Yeah, all the years of my preparation of ministry in, in academia, yeah, my education in some ways has prepared me to be a woodman. And I literally am. I, uh, we have uh, three homes that we use here on the little island in connection with our ministry. And two of them in particular are completely dependent on wood heat. 
uh, firewood. So I uh, spend a portion virtually of every day doing something with firewood. I'm bucking it, I'm splitting it, I'm hauling it, I'm stocking it, I'm burning it, or all, all of those things. And uh, it's fantastic uh, for keeping in shape. It's also very hard in the back. But I really do feel that it's uh, almost kind of like a crowning of, of these years of preparation for ministry. And I don't mean that in any sort of uh, flippant way. It, it really does um, feel like this thing I can do that matters deeply to our flourishing. And, and you're serving these these ladies that are part of New Story in, in the midst of all of that. Indeed, yeah. And they they tell you when they need wood, and you... oh yeah, they'll I'll get texts from them where you know out of Kinlan, we're out of firewood, or we're down to our last few pieces, or whatever. And so that then interrupts or disrupts everything, and I'm off to to the wood pile to get some more. Mark, you you have um written a number of books, and uh, you know some like your church is too safe. Your God is too small, spiritual rhythm. Uh, the rest of God, which actually, Mark, I got when I was dealing with some, I was processing some anxiety that I that I was feeling and realizing that I hadn't really grasped what true rest was and true Sabbath was. Um, God walk. And now you're working in on this series of books on the life of David called David Rise. Um, and... Uh, I'm we're curious because this is kind of what we want to talk about today is David. How is this book on David different for you as a writer? How does it differ from the other books that you've been writing? Yeah, thanks, Rob. Well, first, it's a it's a novel, and my other books have been nonfiction in the genre I might call pastoral theology. But this book is a novel, novel, or this is a trilogy. So David Rise is the first book in the trilogy. The one coming out in the next month or so is called David Rain. And the last one, David Descend. And so that one particular has a play on it that he, um, he has some bad years near the end, but also he, uh, he, he becomes the forebearer of the Christ, the Messiah. So there's a descendant awaiting. But uh, it's different for, in a number of ways, Rob. I, I, I had a long fascination with David, going back to my conversion at age 21, so 40 years ago. And for uh, I didn't even know the word mentor then, but I was looking for one. And uh, it, I didn't find uh, anybody in the church that was kind of grasped what I was looking for, partly because I couldn't articulate it well. But I needed somebody more than just to go through a little um, book of questions with me, you know, in discipleship or something. I needed somebody to really help me with life formation. And in the end, I chose biblical characters. I chose Jesus. I chose the Apostle Paul and I chose David. And so that since for 40 years, I've, I've um, just nourished this profound fascination with this man uh, but when I, I knew I'd at some point I turned that into a writing project, and I initially thought it would be a book on leadership. And more and more, I, I thought, no, actually, I want to tackle this uh, as a novel in, 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 the, in the genre of fiction and wrestle out some of these deep themes in the story that I think are, uh, as the scripture leaves them, sometimes unstated, implied and unstated. And I wanted to kind of do the same. I, I felt that there may be a disservice if I, I sort of 
brought them out and uh, articulated them in, in sort of non-ambiguous ways because they lie in the story with a deep ambiguity. Is, is David a good man or a bad man? Has he got a heart after God or is he self-serving? These are questions that the text of, of the story of David themselves actually explore but don't give us final answers. Mm. And that's profoundly, it's been actually one of the most formative things for me because that kind of how is the space I live in? Am I a good man? Am I a bad man? Mm. Am I after God? Am I after my own ambitions? Mm. And so in, in a lot of ways, he became formative and a guide in ways I had not anticipated 40 years ago. I thought he was going to sort of take me by the hand and show me, you, you know, all the, all the, you know, the, this, this bright, Un, unbroken path to glory and instead he's actually been a companion in exploring my own humanity but to coming back I, I i really thought the only way i can really get at that is through a novel or in this case three novels mark what i mean there's much to be attracted uh to in david uh what, what would be some specific things that you would say that that just his person um, you know, what is it about David specifically? That is such a good question. I, I, at the end, everything, there's this phrase uh, in the King James Version of Hebrews 4, where it talks about, um, you know, or, or rather uh, Hebrews 12, where it talks about having to deal with God. And it says, the God with whom we have to do. Hmm. I just love the, the kind of syntax around that, the God with whom we have to do. In other words, your final reality the these the the ultimate reality the thing you have to deal with no matter whether you believe or not every human being has to finally deal with the god mm. and david i think um excels in that that he understood no matter in his moments of uh intentional seeking after god hungering after god thirsting after god crying out to god but his moments of also utter waywardness and debauchery and losing mm -hmm. the plot david finally always comes to this moment where he knows the god with whom he has to do mm -hmm. so when he messes up rather than you know you think of a great king like hezekiah who messes up uh you know when he tries to play the priest and et cetera, and the, the, he gets leprosy and he won't, he won't walk it back. Hezekiah will not walk it back. He sits there all grumpy to the end of his days and shut up in his, in his solitude and will not come to a place of repentance. And so in a sense, um, it, it, in the end, Hezekiah's epitaph, it was all about him. Mm -hmm. It's not the beginning of his life. It was all about the kingdom. It was all about right. serving God. Uh, where David, for all of his flaws, in the end, it's all about the God with whom he has to do. Mm. I love Good. that. I want that to be my epitaph, actually. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what Peter says in his great preach about him. Um, and David, after, or is it Paul that does it in Acts 13? And David, after, uh, after he had served God in his generation, fell asleep. He died then. And we can think of obvious many instances where he didn't serve God, but I think that is still a fitting, fitting kind of summary of his life. That always this was his turn to God. I think I think lots of leaders when when they read the Bible and they think about David, they love Acts chapter thirteen. David was a man after God's own heart, and that is such a, a just a brilliant phrase and something that a lot of people seek after. 
How would you define that, Mark? I know the question is, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? I, th- I do think there's a clue in the text, but how have you come to understand as you've dissected and, and walked with David, what, what that means? What, what does it mean? Well, Jody, I will be uh, most interested to, to, to hear your response to that as well, because uh, this is a vexing problem and it's vexed scholars really from the get-go for a couple of reasons. One is in the original uh, the original source is in, in 1 Samuel 13 before David shows up on the scene. And it's not even clear, it comes out of the mouth of the prophet Samuel. Samuel. It's not even clear that Samuel knows who that person is. Uh, it's almost for certain he doesn't uh, because it's a few chapters later that God reveals to him. If you remember, there's a, a son of Jesse and then he bumbles through, you know, I think it's that one, I think it's that one. And then finally it's mm-hmm. David. So, it's 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 fairly it's fairly uh, likely that Samuel, when he says it, doesn't know of whom he speaks. And uh, there's a, everything in this the structure of First Samuel 13 sets us up to think it's actually Jonathan, so right at the son of Saul. And so everything uh, that follows that statement, you know, the one after God's own heart. Uh, we have hero stories about about Jonathan, so we're being set up in the narrative to think, okay, that's the good dude that's gonna. There's gonna be a, a dynasty, and Saul's son is gonna surpass him, etc. And so we're surprised as Samuel is surprised that it's David. So I just say that that it's a later tradition is Paul or, or is it Peter or Paul who does the Act thirteen thing? It's Paul. Yeah, so it's Paul that uh, later under anointing of the Spirit makes that explicit connection with David. Uh, but the, the the original text only sort of does. You know, God looks at the outward, or God, uh, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart, and he sees something in David's heart. Uh, but it's also complicated because the language doesn't, it kind of means, you know, here's the one God likes. Here's the one God likes, the one after God's own heart. God's got a heart for this guy. You know, he's got a heart for you, Pat. Um, he's, you know, he, and so it's in some ways not that complicated, but um, but it seems to be that there is something unique about David that it identifies. And here's how I've come to understand it, that it's not that David is some, like Jesus, an icon of God. He's such a perfect representation of God's character that we can say that's one that takes after God. But it more has an indication this is one in pursuit of. He's chasing after God. This is the one who's got some kind of hunger and thirst for righteousness, even in his own righteousness. He he will not give up the chase. And so that's how I've come to understand. I'd be curious how uh, you said the clue in the text. What, what are you seeing? Yeah, well, if the next phrase says, who will do all my will. Yeah. And the end of that verse. And, um, you know, as I think about that, I think of someone who is completely surrendered and has, has an agenda. And there's probably lots of ambiguity in his life about wrestling with selfish ambition versus godly ambition. But at the end of the day, like Jesus, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Maybe in, in different words, but holds his life with open hands loosely and says, you know, I will serve God. And you're saying, you know, I will seek God and I will seek God's ways. And, and so I, I wonder if it's, if it's as well, this just sense of surrender and open-handedness about life. 
Yeah, Jody, I, I very much think that. I mean, I uh, think we can make a very compelling case biblically, not just about David, but Moses and Paul and Jesus and Isaiah, etc. <clears throat> that the thing that really stood stands out about their lives is this radical openness, this availability. Um, yes, God, before the question's been asked. And I think that we see that in David, and um, yeah, again, we can we can sort of enumerate that in the numerous uh, numerous biblical characters where they've already pre-registered their okay, I'm, I'm that we're down with this, <clears throat> and then you know then get around to what's the assignment, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I think about it, say here I am, send me, and then he finds out, you know, okay, I'm going to send you the worst church, and nobody's going to listen to you, and. Mm-hmm. You'd be stuck there until it's empty. I feel like that. <laughs> yes, Lord. Do you have a favorite David psalm? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it shifts according to seasons, uh, somewhat according to my kind of uh, my gathering age. Right now it's Psalm 139, which is, you have searched me begins, you do know me, ends with, but do it again, or, you know, please search me an invitation to be searched and for God to know me. And, See if there's something wrong in me. And in between that uh, declaration that I've been searched, that invitation to come and search me again, is this beautiful kind of rhapsody about you know me in this way and that way. And then this moment of rage toward those who don't love God. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I just, it just is more and more uh, kind of uh, captures I think my emotional place that I'm in right now, uh, I feel more than ever that though I trust God uh, has searched me and knows me, that there's stuff in me that he still has to search out and make it known to me. Something that strikes me about David, and there's a similarity here, you know, in this idea that um, you know, when Samuel goes and he's and God tells him, hey, I've picked somebody from this family, Samuel goes and it's the least unlikely person. He's not even there. His dad didn't even consider him. He's out in the fields and he was not brought before Samuel in this parade. And in the same way, you know, like Isaiah 53 talks about how uh, he grew up like a tender shoot and, you know, he had no majesty to attract us to him. And I think in a world where attraction plays a big role, let's talk about the worship world kind of contemporary modern worship world where a lot of this is like how you present yourself and how cool you dress and how cool your songs are. There's a, I, I resonate with this kind of, I don't want to call it mediocrity, but just like this unlikely guy who Lord has, the Lord has put a call on his life. I'm curious, what do, what are some things that we can learn from David when it comes, you know, as a worshiper, um, what are some, what's maybe a thing that you think about when you think of what we can draw from him? We're talking to worship leaders, worship pastors about David, the worshiper. What's something that sticks out to you? It's so good. Well, firstly, he navigated one of the hardest journeys for worship leaders. And that he is, is that he went from a worship leader to a lead worshiper. I know, uh, Jody, you've done sort of traveled a bit of this and I actually think it's very difficult because I think for worship leaders, and coming back to your point, Rob, that it's very easy when you're you have a, a gifting, or we may want to use that term anointing in this, 
and something happens when you put your guitar on or sit down at the you know the ivories or whatever it happens to be and you can feel it you can see it it's very very easy at some point for that to tip and you get so kind of um you need that it becomes hmm. the substance that that you need another fix of another hit right. of and one of the tests of that in uh in my i had, even though i i said at the beginning i i led worship but i not gifted or anointed at it but uh but i i all, all in my 24 years of pastor ministry i oversaw always the worship ministry so i worked with the musicians and the leaders and one of the tests that I had for if somebody had a real heart after God and worship leading is um, what they were doing when they didn't have their guitar around their neck. Mm -hmm. uh, what it was like for them on the Sundays they didn't lead. Mm -hmm. And was there a capacity and an openness to genuinely come before the throne of grace with all their hunger to get the grace and the mercy they need? Or were they kind of starting to act like rock stars and, you know, they sat out the service and um, uh, had a, a cultivated aloofness, et cetera. You know what I'm talking about. Yep. And I, I, um, I would speak explicitly to worship people, especially worship leaders about this. I'd always have them read um, Gene Edwards book, the tale of three Kings which really is about Davidic worship over against sort of uh, Saul's posturing and Absalom's, or Saul's kind of grasping and, and Absalom's posturing. And really say there's, there's something about David that he remained in this place where he was so in touch with his need for God that it didn't mm -hmm. matter if he was, you know, leading the parade or, or he was just, you know, in the back pew that he was, he came hungry. Yeah, and so that's that's what I would say is that, and I think again, it, it's it's shown in what you do when the guitar is not hanging around your neck, but also can you navigate this journey at some point? Because I think all of us will probably have to do it. We'll just become too eight, you know, old and decrepit. Maybe <laughs> nobody really wants to hear a ragged voice anymore. Um, to make this thing work, I. I gone from a, a worship leader will i be a lead worshiper in other words will i embody something for the community this this desperation for god this seeking mm -hmm. after god um that that they look to me and maybe get more inspiration from how i worship than how i lead worship hmm. you know i think there's a big problem when you know, people claim to be about the glory of Jesus and leading people in worship, but they only like doing it when there's a spotlight on them and they're on the stage. It's like, yeah. whoa, that reveals a little something about their heart. It's the same reason why I say to a lot of our worship leaders, you ought to be the most per passionate about missions because what is missions? Missions is about declaring the glory of God to the nations. Well, if you're about de declaring the glory of God on stage with a spotlight on you, then we should also be about declaring the glory of God in evangelism and in missions. And so you're bang on. It's like that heart ought to be pulse beating on stage and off. Always, you know, it's in this, in the, um, the book of revelation, there's twice, not once where John falls or uh, once near the beginning, once near the end where he, he, he tries to worship one of the angelic messengers, the one bringing revelation. And both times the angel says, dude, wrong guy yeah. you know, like i am just a servant 
get up, stop it. Um, and I and I think that there is this sense where the one who brings a revelation and in in our in our cultural moment, it's actually more the worship leader than the preaching pastor. It used to be the the, the preaching pastor, but generally it's a worship leader who seems to bring the revelation. And so there is, a, if you think of a John, a mature John at that point, he's not the you know son of, son of thunder, he's the apostle of love. So he's mature in his theology, he's mature in his spirituality. Mm-hmm. And yet not once, but twice, he makes a mistake of thinking, I'm gonna throw myself you know, at the feet in, in an act of worship toward the messenger, mm-hmm. the bringer of the gospel, not the, the, the object of the gospel. And both times have to be corrected. So if John, in his height of his theological formation, uh, gets it wrong, then certainly the the person in the pew who doesn't yeah. maybe have all that maturation can get it wrong. It is the responsibility of the messenger to say, stop it. Mm. They're, they're the ones that have to kind of deflect that. And we have to see when it's going on. And however, we might do that. But I uh, get troubled in my spirit, uh, uh, not actually at the dynamic where where people, uh, in a sense, are in awe of this worship leader because of their anointing, but the um, the, the 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 sucking up of it of a yeah. worship leader. What I teach on worship, I do a whole course on worship at Ambrose, and one of the images I use is the the eunuchs in the story of Esther, Shazgaz, and there's another guy, and saying, uh, basically, you have to kind of think of yourself as a eunuch for the kingdom when you lead <laughs> worship. In other words, you, your job is to make the bride beautiful, yeah, but never, ever, ever think it's to steal the affection of the bride. Mm-hmm. It's for the king alone. Yeah, And that just, it's interesting because often I have uh, active worship leaders take that course and there's a few stunning moments in it, you know, like in register. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that hits some nerve. And that uh, tends to hit a nerve that they realize that there's probably been some wanting, you know, some, some kind of winking at the bride, you know, the, the, the groomsman's winking at the bride. Flirtation. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting listening right now and saying, ouch. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Mark. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, yeah, you this know, comes from a deep place, Pat. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, you know, um, uh, I, I heard one time that a big shot is just a little shot away from home. Um, <laughs> implying, you know, I, I've, I've written some songs and they're probably not even that great, but I can go to a conference in, in the United States somewhere where, you know, 40 people will line up and ask for my autograph or would you sign the CD cover because of, you know, this song has affected me. And, and, and ultimately, you know, when we, when we are home and what my wife thinks about me and what my children think about me is really who I am. And and I'm not that much of a big shot. I mean, people in my church don't don't even know that when I go to a conference, people line up and want to, you know, <laughs> they could care less. It's uh, yeah. Uh, and and so you know, thinking about David, uh, this 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 fallen, frail human, his strugglings, his his sin, all of it. Uh, t- t- tell us a little bit about that, and and and. Uh, Give give the worship leaders out there some hope. In terms of- <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I love that that a big shot is just a little shot far from home. Yeah, because uh, I I've experienced that as well, uh, having you know 
some some minor sort of celebrity around writing and um and this false perception when you're not around people who know you <laughs> um that you really have arrived uh david i think one of the very amazing things about david is is when the he gets anointed as the the next king he probably doesn't even know what's going on there he doesn't know what the anointing is about other than this prophet chose him poured the oil on him but unlike saul when saul gets anointed it's an eruption of the holy spirit um and it actually says that he became a changed man or a different man mm. saul so there's a sense of the visible tangible manifestation of the spirit in saul's life and of course that doesn't stay around when david's anointed he goes back to looking after sheep uh it, it, the anointing is for returning uh, maybe with a new energy maybe with a new a passion, maybe with a new humility, gratitude, who knows, but there's not this immediate eruption of the spirit in his life. There's not this, uh, there's not this sort of uh, suddenly it, it translates into <clears throat> being dispatched to do the, the Goliath thing that's coming later. And I think that one of the things we've been instructed in is that we actually live out the life of the spirit. And this is very New Testament. We live out the life of the spirit in the daily, in the in the acts of servanthood, mm -hmm. in the washing of feet, in the um, yeah. And it's interesting when Jesus <clears throat> talks about in John's gospel that you know when the spirit comes, we'll do great works uh, such as his, even greater ones than these. Well, the work that Jesus just did prior to saying that, it's in John 14, the work he did just prior to saying that in John 13 is washes their feet. Um, so, and it takes actually, I would say, more Holy Spirit to do uh, humble acts of servanthood, menial acts of servanthood, than it does great acts of, you know, kind of uh, grandstanding. And and so I I would say that you know David uh, and you you said about David's sinfulness in the in the end and coming back to what we talked about earlier in the program, David, even at his worst, was always in touch with that. Mm -hmm. that that his greatness resided in in a sense his his small acts done in love to quote mother Teresa. his greatness resided in that so you know a great story of david is his he's out you know having a fight and fighting the philistines and <clears throat> says I, I thirst one of his guys abishai or whatever breaks into the philistine camp comes back with a you know here's a cup of water and david pours it out because, and he says, I'm not going to, you know, benefit from that, which you put your life at risk. It's a, it's a highest act of honor he can give to one of his men. But you have these little moments like that, little glimpses where David understood that his greatness was in these acts of probably a thousand unsung acts of heroism and a few, or, or, or quiet heroism, quiet servanthood. And a few of them get noted, but probably most of them don't. And honestly, I would say to the worship leaders or anybody listening, but certainly worship leaders, it's really the measure of your greatness. I mean, Jesus says it, the great one, the first, is uh, not the one who's got all the servants, all the accolades, all the admirers. The one is uh, the, the, the servant, not, not with the many servants, but the servant of the many. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I'm at an age, uh, I, I so feel that in my bones. I don't always live it perfectly, but I feel it in my bones. I feel the pleasure of God when I get the wood for the women. Mm. I said to Jody recently, we're together, and I said, <clears throat> it feels like my life is, uh, <clears throat> I have been faithful with, with many things, and so now God's entrusted me with a few or small things. <laughs> but they're good things. Mm. And I, I really do feel the pleasure of God when I, when I hew wood. Mark 2022, lots of challenges in our lives. Um, how does David warn us? What would you say to a, a leader? You know, we're walking some minefields and walking on some thin ice and walking, listening to the voices that we shouldn't. How does he warn us? Yeah. A couple, a couple of things. It's, I, I love this question. And I, uh, I actually do teach a, 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 an entire three-credit course in the life of David. So whatever leadership stuff is there, I try to pull it out. And a, and a couple of things I would note in this instance. One is is I think that um, that our, our the, the story, the real story of our life in God, which is the story of our, our fallen, broken humanity being redeemed by a good redeemer. If we lose touch of that story, we'll start to go for a lesser story. <clears throat> and we're often attracted to the lesser story because it gets more applause. Uh, and I think we're seeing this uh, almost by the week now with Christian leaders, uh, many of whom we followed and admired and listened to podcasts from, and et cetera. Mm-hmm. But if, if you don't realize that the deep story of your life, the true story of your life is your broken, fallen humanity and a and a good redeemer who redeems you. And this is the thing that, uh, again, your wife and children will know, even when your fans don't. Uh, You'll know it. God knows it. The people closest to you know it. This is the story. And I think David uh, got into a bad place when he was believing the press about himself and not the truth about himself that he was bought into this sort of myth of his, you know, great leadership, great kingship, uh, et cetera. Even the way he plays the Bathsheba Uriah thing, he actually makes himself the hero of that story in the eyes of the people of Jerusalem, because he takes the widow of a fallen comrade as his own wife, who otherwise would have been left destitute. So, uh, outside of the few servants who knows what, what are really going on, he would be, hailed as this is another one of the great deeds of our king (laughs) but god knows (laughs) david knows the woman knows so i i think it's about don't lose touch with i'm not talking about glorying in your in your brokenness i'm just saying don't lose touch with your the human the the person the human you are that god is in the work in the in the business of redeeming the second thing is that David, uh, you can trace an arc across David's life. So he died at 70. He shows up in the story at probably 14. It's a long, <clears throat> it's one of the richest portraits outside of the portrait of Jesus. Um, it, it, it is the richest portrait of a human and the life lived in its entirety. And of course, Jesus died at 30 or 33. So it's actually probably the fullest portrait of a human life in all of scripture. Uh, from from uh, this this little sort of sort of kid who's you know a little overconfident to this old man that nobody even in his 
nobody actually gives David a lament at the end. They're all just sort of, they're just scrapping around. They're just kind of arguing over who gets, you know, the crown after him. So this long life, but you can trace an arc from independence as a youth to um, uh, loneliness as a person kind of coming into their leadership role to isolation um, that he doesn't really have a friend at the end. And I would say one of the warnings of the story is a lot of people are leaders because they have an independent spirit. They know how to get it done and they do it well. And they actually probably in many instances do it better than the people around them. And they have this independent spirit. They'll fight Goliath when everybody else is cowering. But that independent spirit uh, is setting you up for uh, a, a life later on of loneliness and the loneliness sets you up where you stop trusting people, knowing people, opening yourself to people. And finally you're, you're isolated. You're all alone. And that really is the story of David. And I would say that your, your most dangerous time of your life is actually the age I am now 61. You know, when you get into that age, if you're uh, in a place of isolation, you you're like the old, you know, the old uh, wildebeest in the pack or whatever. The lions are going after you. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't keep up. They're going after you. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that, that I would just say I mean, it's tragic that after uh, Jonathan died, David didn't find anybody among his, his comrades to replace him with. Uh, part of what I actually do in the David novels is I actually make the one prospect of that Uriah. Mm. And because uh, just add, I'm just guessing it's just kind of, you know, holy imagination stuff, but it adds a poignancy to that story uh, where Uriah is so honoring David's kingdom. And, uh, you know, it doesn't totally fit because David doesn't seem to know who Bathsheba is and you think, you know, they're good friends. But anyhow, I just kind of explore this thing, at least the possibility. Could mm -hmm. this be, could this be a substitute for, uh, Jonathan in terms of that soul fellowship. So those would be the two things So don't lose touch with, uh, your, your humanity and how God's at work within it. That's the real story of you. And, uh, don't become a lonely old man or woman. Hmm. Mark, you, you kind of referenced the church kind of hemorrhaging leaders right now. And just, we just see spectacular fall after spectacular fall and now it's not even spectacular. It's just kind of a nuisance. Like, Oh, this again, you know, um, what, what would you say the church needs to relearn from David? What, what would be a key thing that like, look, we need to, as a church now, that's a leadership thing. What does the church got to like, come back into an alignment with? Do you think? Well, I've, I've got a couple of things. One is David's attentiveness and uh, openness to the, the prophetic voice. Uh, unique in some ways among the kings. The, 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 the kings in Israel tended to have a testy relationship or an adversarial relationship with the prophetic voice in their midst. Where David, uh, the minute he was confronted, he he got you know he got down on his knees and repented and so mm -hmm. I think that we've actually lacked in the last number of years the prophetic voice 
in the in the church and i think that pastors above all have to kind of model an attentiveness to it um the second thing is that um the very last picture we have of david and i'll, I'll close with this is um uh, the, the, you know first kings deals with uh succession narrative and the very last bits of of um of the first or second Samuel is kind of miscellany, you know, this happened, that happened. Here's a bunch of mighty men. Uh, the very actual last story of David in second Samuel is him worshiping in repentance. Mm -hmm. So he messes up and he buys, he actually insists on paying for the uh, threshing, threshing floor of Ariana. Uh, he wants uh, the, the, the farmer wants to give it to him. He says, I will not, uh, I will not uh, worship, uh, you know, I will not do Offer a sacrifice to the Lord that costs me Technically, nothing. Yeah. Cost me nothing, right? Um, I, almost a motto for worship leading. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he's down his face. Boom! Lights go out. Curtain falls. That's unbelievable to me. That the the genius of the story and the narrator of the story decided that the last picture really we get of the king is a mm -hmm. broken, humble, repentant man who messed up before God and is down on his face before Him. Hmm. that if if uh, uh, the listeners get nothing else maybe put that on the fridge and keep looking at it i i was i was thinking of psalm 84 uh i think it's five verse five where it says in whose heart are the highways to zion and i i you know i just think of my own life and the i'm, I'm a little bit younger than you mark but not much 56 and i've been doing this for i don't know um pastoral ministry 33 years i think now um and and just realizing the highs and lows and and everything in between and and the need to um you know the the, the moments of just like i i i can't keep going and yet there's this something that that holds you and keeps you and and i feel like that that verse has always been that you know that that love for Jesus, uh, something that He's done, that He's created in us, that that makes you want to, you know, see all the uh, all the the, tra the trappings and and the 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 snares and um, and and just keeps pulling you back and 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 it's it's in 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 my heart are the ways designed. There's just something that God has done and. Um, just thinking about people listening and there's just been so much here today that i think is that every worship leader needs to hear and needs to be reminded of um i want to take your course just just in, <laughs> in light of some of the things you've shared uh today um so thank you thank you for just the the the, the much wise words today been very encouraged I might suggest try to try to option your book series as a TV series because I've always thought the life of David <laughs> would make such an excellent mini series, like because it's so engaging. So hey, just throwing that out there, brother. <laughs> well, actually, um, there is a. I'm, I'm in conversation right now. They approached me um, a fairly large house, uh, exploring that very possibility. So wow, well there you go, right here, exclusive on the Worship God podcast. <laughs> Mark, I know sometimes you have some debates about what your books and things should be called, but if that word, The Chosen, hadn't already been taken, uh, <laughs> The Chosen would be a good title for, for David as well, just yeah. as much as, yeah. Mark, I love uh, Psalm 63, verse 1. You said something earlier that struck me, just 
that David, we talked about his heart and just, he said this desperate searching and longing and hunger for God and, and need for God. And Psalm 63, one, he's in the wilderness. God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. And uh, I think that's just a great lesson for us as you're talking about desperation and humility and brokenness. That In our day, we can so rely on our guitars or our praise charts or our planning center or whatever we rely on to think that we're we're knocking it out of the park but but without that without that sense of uh earnestly seeking and being desperate for god we don't have a lot of hope and um the lord corrects us he's very faithful to discipline us in that so thank you for uh your your time and sharing and i know you've contemplated david deeply you still do and you're still writing and um so we're thankful for that how how can people get a hold of the book? I, maybe you have a copy. You can just kind of hold it up for us and show us how, how we can get a hold, hold of that book. That's what the David Rise looks like. And uh, the David Rain should be out in a, in a couple months and has sort of a similar kind of uh, coloration and design pattern. Uh, it, uh, just on, uh, actually, uh, Amazon is probably the best place to, to get that. Thank you guys for being here, Mark. Thank you for sharing uh, the overflow of, of your deep thoughts with David. Thank you for your ministry to uh, leaders and to these ladies that you're working with, with Cheryl, your wife. Uh, God bless you. And um, thanks everybody for watching. And I pray that you've been stirred and encouraged as you jump back into the Psalms. As Mark said, these are journey companions, mentors. The Psalms are the expressions of our hearts, of our longings, of our desperation for God. And uh, let's continue to make that our, our songbook and our worship book as you lead your churches and as you go before the Lord as worshipers. So hope, hope to see you again next time. Thanks for being with us and God bless you. Worship God is a production of the Gospel Coalition Canada. For more Christ-exalting resources, go to ca.thegospelcoalition.org.